I know it's different. It's okay to feel a level of sadness that it's different today. Uh, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Masks are uncomfortable. It's okay to feel sad that a part of our congregation, a part of our members can't be here today, will not be able to be here today. But it's also okay to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. It's also okay to give voice to the gratitude in our hearts that God, who was with us yesterday, will still be with us today and into tomorrow. This is our first Sunday back uh, in the sanctuary here in the church building in almost four months, uh, and I am thankful to be able to be here with you, uh, more importantly for you to be able to be here with me, uh, for us to be together. We're in a series called Turning the World Upside Down. Uh, things are different. Our service is going to be shorter. We're trying to be mindful. We have children in the room. Welcome children. It's okay if you hear so sounds of children. That's a good thing. Praise God every time you hear the sound of a child this morning and in the weeks to come. Uh, things are different. My sermon's going to be shorter. Uh, for a preacher like me, that's really, really hard. So pray, pray for me. Um, this pandemic has turned our world upside down, hasn't it? There's no question it has. The question really is, how do we live as children of light, hope, and love in the midst of such chaos? But the other meaning, and we've talked about it, of this title is that in Acts 17, the followers of Jesus were so devoted to spreading the gospel and living out their faith that it radically changed how they lived. They were courageous in their preaching and generous with their resources and joyful in persecution. And they were accused of turning the world upside down by simply sharing the gospel and letting the gospel change how they live. That's our prayer for our church family. That, that we would be accused of turning the world upside down in the most, not, you know, overt ways, right? We're not overthrowing the government, right? Jesus never advocated that. But really in subversive ways. By living in such a way that compels people to ask, what is the hope that lies within you? We want to navigate how do we live in an upside down world. And so today, fighting our worry, trusting our Father. Let's face it, there are many things today that we have to worry about. Who would have thought that we would be worried about how much toilet paper we have in the house? I mean, truly. When I was a kid, and some of you remember even further back, when I was a kid, we were so rich with toilet paper we would take rolls and rolls of it and throw it over people's houses just for fun. And we didn't sweat it. We never worried about it. Andrew, the, the, the toilet paper crisis is abating now, so just be prepared. It would be an act of sacrifice for us to do that to your house, brother. The coronavirus is spreading faster than ever, unfortunately. Financial markets are on a roller coaster, if you watch them. Um, the unrest due to racial inequalities. The school is different. Work is different. All of us, are, so even the most calm among us are, are struggling or at least tempted with worry. And that's let alone what you and I are going through on a personal level. Your job situation. Your health concerns. Family and friends who may not be doing well for whatever reason relationship struggles. It's hard not to worry. 
Jesus looks around at his, at his audience. Matthew 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He looks around at his audience and they look just like us. And he offers us divine insight into how we battle against the anxiety that creeps up inside of us. Sometimes in really debilitating ways. Now, a word of caution before I get into this text, because talking about our fears, our anxieties, our worry is tricky, because on one level, as Jesus says, it is a spiritual issue. There are mindsets and beliefs and emotions that fuel our anxiety. And yet, anxiety and worry is a complex issue. There are physiological and psychological factors as well. And so I want to be careful this morning not to give overly simplistic answers to a very complex issue. I am confident that God's word gives us what we need to understand our worries and to battle them. And yet a text like Matthew 6 can be misused to shame people who experience anxiety on a physiological level. And I don't want to do that today. So just please hear me as I'm sharing. One of the things that you notice about this text is that Jesus asks a lot of questions here. Did you notice that? He asks them questions and then responds to those questions. Why? Why does he ask questions? Because questions make you think. Questions invite you to to, to process what's going on in your heart, to actively discover what's happening in your soul. And so since Jesus used questions, I'm going to offer you seven questions this morning. Maybe you can use them as diagnostic questions to kind of consider, how am I doing with fighting my worry, trusting my father? Other pastors have done seven questions, nine. I saw nine questions. So, you know, I I tried to kind of narrow it down also with my time constraints. So here we go. Seven questions. Question number one. Am I allowing worry to have control in my life? We need to ask ourselves this question honestly. And I frame it that way because notice verse 25 begins with, therefore. That means Jesus is teaching here, Something as a direct implication of what he just said in verses 19 to 24, where he warned them and he warns us against letting money control our lives. He says in verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. You see that? Whatever you serve in life, that is what controls you. And Jesus is saying, therefore, why? Because just like money, worry and anxiety and our fears have the ability to control our lives. The word anxiety here means overly concerned or distracted. Overly concerned or distracted. Jesus says, do not be overly concerned or distracted by what you will eat or drink or wear. And by where, I think you can say by extension, where, how, how we live. Paul says uh, in, to, in Timothy, kind of if, if we have clothing and we have food, that's enough. And the word clothing there kind of is a broad word. It means kind of shelter. If we have everything we need, our basic needs, with this we can be content. And Jesus says, don't be overly distracted by those things. Don't let the pursuit of those things control your life. Because if you do, you will worry. Now, that begs the question, aren't food, clothing, shelter, aren't those things important? Right? When we don't have those things, isn't that a cause for worry, Jesus? 
Yes, these basic things are important. There are basic needs. And most of Jesus' audience lived hand to mouth. They were subsistence living. They worked hard to provide for their basic needs every day. They weren't thinking about luxuries. They were thinking about how do I get food on the table today? So Jesus knows they are important, but he clarifies for us what he means. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Worry starts to take over when we think that our lives are simply a sum total of what we eat, drink, wear, and where we live. Worry sets in when I am so overly concerned about my daily needs that my devotion has shifted from God to these other things. Do you see that? Do you see what he's saying? He's not saying don't go after these things. He's not saying don't provide for these things. He's saying don't be anxious about these things. Don't be so consumed with these things that you are now controlled by these things. And so the first question I think Jesus would have us ask ourselves is, are you allowing worry, fear, and anxiety to have control in your life? If so, that's an issue. That's a problem. Question number two, am I forgetting God's love for me? To illustrate his point about anxiety, Jesus then says in verse 26, look at the birds. It's almost like he tells them, don't be anxious. And then he sees a bird, maybe a bluebird, flying across and landing on a branch. And he says, just look at the birds. The word look means focus on them. Fix your eyes on them. My good friend Maurice Harton was huge into bird watching. And I wasn't. And he dragged me into it. I thought, this is the dumbest thing. I'm going into the woods to look at birds. Until I went into the woods and started looking at birds. Until I saw my first bird out of binoculars at Cape May with him and his dad. And I saw this warbler singing away. Look at the birds, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet they don't worry. They don't worry. Why? He says, Jesus says, look, because your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Interesting. Birds don't have 401ks. Birds don't have mortgages. Birds don't get college educations. And yet, our heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus drives home the point. Are you not much more valuable than they? Don't misunderstand Jesus. You all know if you have seen birds, birds work, don't they? They work more, maybe more than us. From sunup to sundown. No, sorry. From before sunup to sundown because they wake us up. They're working. They're building nests. They're looking for food. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're providing food for their babies. All day, every day, every day, all day. Do you believe that God cares for you more than the birds? You who bear the image of God. You, you for whom God chose to send his son Jesus, not as a bird, but as a man, so that he can reconcile us to himself. 
You who are the pinnacle of creation made in his image, do you believe God cares for you even more than the birds that he provides for every day? If you're struggling with worry because of the coronavirus or your job or your money or a relationship or whatever it is, you and I need to ask ourselves, am I forgetting how much God loves me? You see, worry is rooted in our beliefs. We think worry is rooted in our emotions. No, that's just the outpouring of worry. Worry is rooted in our beliefs. We tend to let our circumstances shape our view of God rather than letting God's word shape our view of the circumstances. If you are struggling with anxiety, I want to encourage you, one line of attack. Notice I said fighting worry. That's the title of this. Battling worry. One line of attack against our anxiety is to keep renewing your mind and your heart in the truth that God's love for you is deep and wide and will never run out and will never fail you. Nothing can separate you from his love. And if every day you need to start by acknowledging, God, I want to remember that you love me enough that you died for me and you rose again for me and you're with me even now by your Holy Spirit and you stamp me as a seal and you'll never let me go, then say that every day until worry starts to, to crowd out because you're so filled with God's love. Question three, do I think worry will add value to my life? Verse 27, this is so, it, it sounds so unspiritual. And which of you, by being actually anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? It's like Jesus says, all right, you want to kind of talk down nitty-gritty? Here you go. Here you go. I'll meet you on your level. Ask yourself honestly, can your worry at this moment impact the uncertainty of the next moment? Think about it. Worry all you want right now. Go ahead and drum up all the worry. Can that worry in this moment change the uncertainty that's going to happen in the next moment? And the answer is no. And, can, and it begs the question, then Jesus is like... So why worry? Anxiety achieves nothing. In fact, it, it takes away, it doesn't add to our lives, it takes away our lives. We know that. Studies show repeatedly worry, anxiety, these kind of things wear on our bodies. Stress wears on our bodies. But you know what? Worrying feels like we're doing something, doesn't it? The reason why worrying is something we struggle with is because when you want to fix a problem or situation, at least worrying feels like you're being proactive. But we're not being proactive. We're fooling ourselves into thinking that we can fix more than we really can. Pastor Mark Vrogup says this, quote, Worry is what fixers do when fixers can't fix. Guilty. I'm a fixer. That's what I do. Have you fallen into the trap of believing that worry can add value to your life? Or are you trying to fix something that you can't fix? Question four. Am I starting to doubt God's character? Verses 28 to 30. Jesus gives another illustration. He starts with the birds who are very active, who work very hard, which he obviously means we are called to still work and yet rest, to rest from work. 
But now he, he kind of takes it a step further and he says, look at the flowers. There would have been wild flowers on this mountain that he was preaching from. He says, look at them. Look at their vibrant colors. Get, get close and look at the petals. You can see the veins in the petals. You can see how I've designed them so intricately and so beautifully. They're wonderful, aren't they? Listen, one of the best gifts that I can give my wife, I've learned, is the gift of flowers. She loves the way they look and the way they smell. She appreciates them. And yet to me, it's the oddest thing because whenever I give her beautiful flowers, you know what happens after a few days? They die. And then I gotta get more flowers. And it feels like this weird cycle, like I'm throwing my, no, I'm not throwing my money. I'm, I'm loving my wife well. But you kind of feel, you know, it's like, man, this, there's a short shelf life here. That's Jesus' point, actually. Look how beautiful the flowers here. They're here today, and then tomorrow they would have gathered them up and used them to start the fire in the oven. What? Like that? He says, that's the point. They're more glorious than even Solomon in all of his splendor. They're beautiful, he says, because God makes them beautiful. They grow because God graciously provides for them. Notice, flowers do nothing to, to enhance their situation. Their growth is not out of effort, is it? You plant a seed, and what happens? It just waits. It waits for the right sunlight, it waits for the rain, it waits for the nutrients, and then it goes up. And that's why Jesus says, look at them. God provides for even them. Birds work hard. Flowers, they're working, but, but you don't even see them working. And yet God provides for them. And then he drives home his point in verse 30. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Ouch. He, br he just brought it down to a heart level. He's going from the greater, the lesser to the greater, the lesser to the greater. If God clothes the flowers, won't he also clothe you, take care of you? You mean my worrying about my, my kids, how they're doing in school? You mean my worry about my health? You mean my worry about how I'm going to take care of my aging parents? You mean those things are a faith issue, Jesus? And he's like, yeah. Oh, you have little faith. Not no faith, but little faith. The reason we are so devoted to the things of this world and worry about them is because we do not trust our Heavenly Father. We're doubting his character and his goodness. Now, most of us don't worry about clothes, do we? We don't. We don't. We're not like most people here when Jesus is talking to who have one set of clothes and maybe one extra. Our issue this morning was, what are we going to wear? Not, do we have anything to wear? But we do worry about how we look, don't we? We do worry about being accepted by others. We do worry about what others think of us. And when we don't feel like we're being accepted, when we don't feel like we're being appreciated by how we look or how we're doing, when others don't think well of us, it does bother us. Sometimes so much that we get angry at God for not giving us what we want so badly and we start to feel like, God, you've forgotten us. Or else why would life be going so badly? I want you to see this. Worry, anxiety, fear, they, they start to chip away at your faith. 
They cause you to question God's plan, to, to doubt his goodness, until one day you're so frustrated with life and with God, and you didn't even realize that your faith was under attack. You see, what you really believe about God is revealed in a time of anxiety. It's, uh, it simply reveals what's in there. That's not a slight on you. Jesus is sin- What does Jesus want? He's not trying to beat us down. He's trying to expose our hearts so that he can be the answer, so that he can fill it. He doesn't just tell us, don't worry. He gives us an alternative in verse 33. Are you starting to doubt God's character? Verse, question number five. Am I convinced that God knows what I need? Verse 31 and 32. Therefore, don't be anxious about what you should eat, what you should drink, what you should wear, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus says when we worry... We're acting like people who don't believe in God. The Gentiles, meaning unbelievers. He says worry can cause us to talk and to think and to make decisions like people who don't believe in a good and wise God. Notice Jesus says the Gentiles seek after these things, meaning their greatest devotion is to these things, is to getting that job, buying a bigger house, getting into the right college, getting married or remarried, building our portfolio. That's their treasure. Now, before you, you, you get on me, none of those things are bad. This is not about good and bad. It's about what we are devoted to. Find the right college. Be prayerful about what house you live in, but don't let that be the thing that you seek after so much so that it becomes your treasure, that it becomes what you value most. You see, we we as Christians have this amazing opportunity to stand out by living out our faith. We have a chance to show the rest of the world that no matter what is going on around us, no matter how difficult the situation may be, worry will not rule our hearts. It doesn't mean we can't lament. You know, I've talked about lament and we'll keep talking about how we lament what's going on around us and we lament the losses and the pain. Absolutely. But we want to guard our hearts from falling down the the trail of worry that overwhelms us and debilitates us and often during times of crisis. Why? Because our treasure is not found in these earthly things. And according to Jesus, because we have a heavenly father who knows what we need. I admit it's hard to believe that our Father knows exactly what we need, especially when life throws us a curveball. Last Thursday, I got up early to take a run. I don't do that very often, so I was pretty excited for myself. I didn't drink much water. I went for a very hot and difficult run. I got home, started to feel intense pain on my side. It got progressively and exponentially worse. I called my doctor, and within an hour, I was at the ER in Anne Arundel with a kidney stone. I spent the next two days and two nights at the hospital until all the tests came back okay. Now, I want to admit, while I was sitting there alone, mind you, no visitors, no family, just alone, banished in the dungeon of the hospital, or so it seemed, I was not thinking, Lord, 
you know exactly what I need, and this is what I need right now. I wasn't. I wasn't thinking two nights in the hospital is God's gracious care for me. But it was. My Heavenly Father knows what I need. Those of you who are parents, if you saw a need in your child, whatever it is, whether it's physical or emotional or relational, whatever it is, would you not do whatever you could to meet that need in the best possible way? If you as a human parent would be willing to do that, no matter the cost, how much more our Heavenly Father, who is far more loving and far more able to provide what we need in this life. He knows about your job situation. He knows about your loneliness. He knows about your family struggles. He knows about your health concerns. God knows what you and I need. That should start to release the worry in our hearts that we know that he knows. And by knowing means he cares and he can do something about it. Question six. What needs to change for me to seek God's kingdom first? Verse 33 is the crux of this passage. This is more than just a call not to worry. Notice that. Jesus doesn't ever just say, don't do this. He always gives us a vision for something far greater and far more enduring. It's a call to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. Notice he says, seek first. Two words. Seek first. Seek means pursue with intentionality. Pursue and focus on it. Seek it. Be devoted to it. And first means your highest, your greatest priority. Often we give in to worry when our priorities are out of line. That's what Jesus is saying here. The reason why you're worrying is, is, is because your priorities are out of line. You need to seek first this. This is what gains priority. And when you do, his promise to us is actually worry will actually dissipate because you will find that your father is providing everything you need. It's not that we don't need other things to live. We do. God's promise in verse 33, he will provide them. Maybe not in the ways that we want. Maybe not in the time we want. I get that. Boy, do I get that. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? It means God's agenda, God's plan for the world, for your life, comes first. To seek his kingdom is to desire and pursue with greatest priority the spread of Jesus Christ's reign through the local church, Get more and more going out, seeing people around us, submitting to King Jesus, repenting and trusting in him, and living on mission as his disciples. It's what Jesus talked back in the Lord's Prayer just a few verses earlier. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we, we like to say, mm, my kingdom come, my will be done. When we say, God, your kingdom is, is my priority. Your kingdom is what I pursue most. Your kingdom is what I value most. Something happens. Something happens. Our primary devotion starts to change. You see, as long as our primary devotion is to something else that, we, that we're in charge of, that we think we're in charge of, we will worry. 
If the next meal is something I'm in charge of, I'm going to worry. If my future decisions about home and where I'm going to live is on me, then I'm going to worry. But listen, if I redirect my devotion and I see God's priorities, God's plans, guess what? I don't have to worry because you know what? I'm not in charge of God's kingdom. God is. Do you see how freeing it is to be able to shift devotion to God's kingdom? And when I'm pursuing that and I'm so devoted to that, I realize God's in control of this. What do I have to worry about? It's his kingdom anyway. I'm just doing my small role. And as I do that, I hold my hand out here saying, God, I trust you're going to take care of everything else I need. Question seven. Do I believe new troubles will be met with new mercies? It's interesting how Jesus ends in verse 34. You would think verse 33 would be the end. 33 is the pinnacle. It's the denouement. It's the, it's the, it's the climax. It's the, it's the, oh yes, seek the kingdom of God. And then he adds this at the very end. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He ends with the word trouble. That's not very hopeful, Jesus. No, it's because Jesus doesn't teach a pie-in-the-sky theology. He doesn't ignore each day's troubles. He knows we live in a broken and messed up world with broken and messed up people. Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, not because it won't have trouble, but because you know that the same Father who gave you the strength today will give you the strength tomorrow. Isn't that why Jeremiah, even in the midst of the brokenness of Jerusalem, as he laments in Lamentations, he says, your mercies are new, what? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Therefore, I do not lose hope. Listen, tomorrow we'll have plenty of trouble. But a God who is greater than that trouble will be there to guide you through it. When, the, when God sent the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness, what did he say? He said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you manna every single day. Every single day I'm going to give it to you. On Sabbath, you'll have enough for the next day too. And they had to trust him for just that day and then do the same tomorrow. Do you believe he will do that for you? Today, he will give you everything you need. It's the way he has always worked. He doesn't give you everything for the future so that you can sit back and say, oh, look at the big barns I built. I can eat, drink, and be merry. I don't care. No, he always gives us what we need so that we walk by faith and not by sight. And then one day, when we see him face to face, yes, he peels back the curtain and says, hey, behold, I've made all things new. Come and feast in a feast that will never end. That will be glorious. But for now, men every day. Every single day. Every, every day. And he doesn't get tired of you waking up every day saying, Jesus, I need whatever that manna is for today. I need whatever it is I need today. I need new morning mercies today. And he doesn't get annoyed. He doesn't say, oh, another day you're asking for it. No, he's saying, come on, I want to keep giving it every day. As you come to me my faith, I want to keep giving it out of grace so that you trust me, so that you delight in me, so that I become your treasure, not that thing that you're wanting. Here's the thing. Jesus lived out his own teaching perfectly. He constantly lived in complete reliance on his father to provide. He knew his father loved him, never questioned it, and he rested in that truth. More than anyone else, Jesus sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
But you know why he did that? Because he knew that we would fail in this. We would fail in this teaching. Who among us can say, I have sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If anyone raised your hand, that's a problem. You might as well go ahead and put it back down and be like, all right, I blew it. We've never done this. Me included. You say, Mark, you're being hard on us who worry. No, I'm being hard on me who worries. I'm being hard on those of us who blew it because Jesus said, don't worry. And that immediately reminds us, man, I worry. But he didn't. He knew we would sinfully worry, that we would give in to fears and anxieties. He knew that we would do all the other things that he commanded us and called us not to do, that our hearts would doubt God's goodness. And that is why he went to the cross. Jesus lived a life of complete surrender to the Father's will. He died because we are so devoted to so many other things. That's why Romans says, we, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all except Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died in your place. He rose from the dead victorious. Why? So that if you turn in faith to Jesus and receive him by grace, you can be convinced that your heavenly father knows what you need. And as a Christian, when you are convinced that God has taken care of your greatest need, no judgment for sin. It's already been judged on the cross. No condemnation. When you are convinced he's provided everything you need for salvation from sin and death, then the question is simply, how can you not trust him for your everyday needs? If he could take care of something, kids, if he could take care of something this big, can he take care of something this big? That's kind of what he's saying. That's it, it in a nutshell. I can do this. Can I not do this? I do this, 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 this. Get it? Kids, adults, get it? That's what he's saying. Christian, if you are willing to take those things that you've been grasping hold on to so hard and just open your hands, you'll find that you have a heavenly father who knows what you need and will lovingly provide for you. He's inviting us all to surrender. That's what he's doing. Surrender your life, surrender all you have to God, and when you do, I believe worry will lose its grip on our hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we need you. I pray on behalf of everyone who is here, no matter how young or old, God, we all struggle to some degree with worry, anxiety, fears, especially in a world turned upside down. May we live as a counterculture. Not perfectly, we know we're going to blow it, but at, may we grow in this area, Lord. May we take steps of sanctification as your spirit works on our hearts and uses these questions to expose what's in our hearts and drive us to your son Jesus to receive his every morning mercy and his ever sufficient grace. Lord, would you do this so that Grace Baptist Church might be a shining light in this community not on a hill that says, look how great we are, but on a hill that says, look how great Jesus is. We are broken, and yet we have a great Savior. Our sin is great, but your grace is greater. Help us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.